All right, welcome to episode 33 of the Michael Anthony Show. Obviously, um, off the back of two rugby episodes, it's quite relieving to get a football figure in here. I don't know if you can uh, notice from the Ralph Lauren uh, fleece, but I actually got carried away with the whole rugby thing for a bit. <laughs> um, we're joined today by Mark Ogden, um, a journalist and football writer who I've always admired. Um, and just quickly before we crack into it, because this is something that I've heard kind of confirmed and denied equally, is it true that you broke probably the biggest sporting story of the last 25 years and that is the retirement of the great Sir Alex Ferguson <laughs> well it was a day when everybody was kind of working on the story but um, I guess um, you know we went with it first at the Telegraph and how'd you know it was just listen people ask that question you never you never know 100% you, I, I went to bed that night thinking oh god I hope I'm right because otherwise you'll ban me again but um, were you banned from him a few times yeah, a couple of times, yeah. For just... Once for, once for three months, but how I knew... I did somebody... I had a contact who said, this time it's serious and go with it and, you know, trusted him, you know, 100%, so... Um, you know these club sources, though? Like, are they kind of... Are they staff members or what What are they like? Club so I mean, it could be anything from, you know, the kit man, people somewhere on the board. Yeah. Friends of players, brothers of players. And do clubs nearly want media-leaked information? Um, not really, because nowadays clubs have all got their own kind of websites and media channels. So they increasingly want to control. control everything. So nowadays it's, it's, really, it's a lot harder to get things out. But the thing is, when, when clubs are struggling, it's always easier to find people to talk because they're all you know, pissed off with how things are going. There's a bit of disharmony. It's when, when, yeah. when, when things are going well, when, when a club's winning all the time, nobody talks because mm. everyone's happy. So it's when, it's when the crack starts to appear. So that's why over the last six years, Man United has been such a compelling club to cover because... It's been going wrong for six years. Yeah, it's basically like an episode of of the Hills. But um, like I remember, I had my suspicions after he didn't do the interview after the Real Madrid game in twenty thirteen, when they went out and then he got sent off for no reason, obviously. Yeah. And I remember he didn't do it, and I kind of had I go, I think he might be leaving because why would he be that good at? And then the program notes though against Chelsea, he talked mm. about how this was just the start of another decade of success, etc. Yeah. What was the kind of shift? Because that was only a week before the your article. That came out a day before he retired. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of looking back. There were a lot of pointers towards him, him going. You know, things like signing Van Persie, which kind of went against the club's tradition of not buying players over the age of twenty-seven at the time. Even for that money, though, to get his quality for what they paid for, I know it's only a year yeah. of the contract left, though. But would yeah. you not break that rule in that situation? They were very, they were always averse to doing that. So that that was that was breaking new ground. And then obviously the Real Madrid reaction, how furious he was into the interview. The program notes. I, I just think that was a kind of a, a classic case of. Fergie wanting to keep people guessing. I mean, the guy who wrote the program notes, David Meek, who, who died about six months ago, you know, he knew Fergie for about 30 years and Fergie tucked him up a little bit there. But I think it was just him protecting the announcement and protecting the club wanting to protect the announcement as well. So that's also for the kind of New York Stock Exchange and all those other kind of reasons. Yeah, I think that's kind of overplayed a bit. I don't think it's as significant as that. Um, but there's an element of Fergie and the club wanting to control the announcement. But there were certain, there were kind of. Um, Pointers when you look back, but uh, yeah, and even even banning me that season because uh, I was banned for three months that season because I wrote on the first first weekend of the season that Rio was going to miss the Everton game, picked up an injury in training, and uh, I got a call on the Monday morning from some of the club saying, "Did you write that story?" I said, "Yeah, yes." Yeah. So I said, "The manager's not happy. Let's, let's just hope they win tonight and forget about it." Anyway, they lost, and uh, that's Van Persie's debut off the bench. Yeah, yeah. they lost uh, that game. One 0 loss. Yeah, yeah, and and Fergie banned me because he blamed me for the defeat because <laughs> <laughs> basically um, 
really didn't play so Michael Carrick played at centre half yeah. and then Fellaini scored the header yeah. against Carrick in the last 10 minutes and uh, Ferg- Fergie's reasoning was that had I not written the story then Everton wouldn't have found out that Rio was injured and Fellaini wouldn't have scored the goal etc etc despite the fact that you know at the time I think there were certainly one or two players at Everton that had played for United had gone so there was you know teammates talk and David, yeah. David Moyes and Everton would have known before I did but so I ban- he banned me for three months but I think that was because he banned other journalists at the same time for long periods because he probably knew it was his last season he didn't want anything at all to kind of stop him from winning the title so. obviously you've covered so many managers in your career you knew Fergie for what 20 years yeah. what was he like if you even look like if you even look before United Aberdeen 50 out of the last 54 leagues mm-hmm. Celtic and Rangers out of the four that weren't then in 54 years three of them are Fergie's Aberdeen yeah four cups and then he comes to United he's turning the Silva twins into players mm. John O'Shea who's okay yeah. becomes a proper player and good players like Park and Fletcher become pretty great players was it just all psychological like what was like and you talk about him banning you and stuff like that what, would you consider Ferguson a bully to an extent um, well I suppose he was a bully yeah he's a classic case of a bully picking on people that can't maybe defend themselves but I think it was more than that. I think, what was he as a manager? I think it was a lot of psychology motivation because somebody told me, I forget who it was, one of the players said, the, the one thing that Fergie would always say, I don't remember what Fergie said, the most important two words you can say to anybody is well done. And he would say that a lot to his players. And, you know, the players love playing for Ferguson. And he knew how to kind of get the best out of players and to tap into the, the mindset. And uh, you only realise now since he's gone how, you know, personalities like Mourinho just... You can't imagine ever saying well done to anybody apart from himself. And, uh, you know, Fer- Fergie's qualities are what maybe Jurgen Klopp has at Liverpool and, and maybe Pochettino at Tottenham, this kind of ability to be a human with people that he's working with and uh, and have that. I don't, maybe not on the same level, though. No, they're, they're not, but they, they you can see how their players react, Liverpool and Tottenham's players react to Pochettino and Klopp in the same yeah. way that the United players did with Fergie, you know. There's something this you can't really put your finger on, it, but he was a guy that he, he knew how to tap into every player's psychology and soul in a different. They're all different, you know. Yeah, like even if you look at Smalling and Jones, could do shifts at right back five years ago and get man of the match awards, but now they're strictly clumsy centre backs who yeah. only make four mistakes a game. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players that you think, God, how did you make him a player? Um, but you look back, it's, I mean, thirteen titles in what was it twenty twenty seasons? It's just ridiculous, and it's. Um, but he, he drove players on and they, they all kind of, you look at the class of 92 now, Gary Neville, Rangi Scholes, but they've all got this, they've all got that Fergie streak through them. Like they've all, they're all quite humble guys. And Do you think they nearly though became, too, like, do you know the way we have Solskjaer now as the manager and like the idea of having somebody who was around the club when Ferguson was there always had to be experimented on. There was never going to be a situation in which Manchester United didn't put in somebody from the Ferguson era to manage who knows the club, regardless who come before or after. But Solskjaer was never the guy who we all dreamt of when we were younger. It was Keane or Neville. Mm. And do you think that obviously the Keane fallout occurred and probably Keane's start in management was too successful so we got kind of over the top in terms of who we could take on. But Neville, like the rest of the boys nearly became too successful from mm. Ferguson. As in like it, it left football. They started owning properties and becoming Hollywood fucking superstars and yeah. shit like that. It's, it's, it's funny because Fergie used to always bang, in, the last, in his last three or four years he used to always bang on about Bayern Munich. Look at Rummenigge, Brighton, uh, Gertmuller, all, all these kind of early Hernis, all these former Bayern players that were in the club, and he thought that's the way that United should go. But obviously, the Glazers had different ideas, and Ed Woodward had different ideas, and 
to the point now where I sense there's a real kind of hostility towards certainly the class of 92 because they're so they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're the brand that got with like the a regime in exile almost, yeah. so they're throwing stones at the windows and so they went away from Ferguson initially you know the, the David Moyes thing which was a total disaster and then Van Gaal and Mourinho but I think it's almost like they've gone back to Solskjaer because they needed some sort of comfort blankets because the Glazers and Woodward have run out of ideas now. And yeah. And there was a time when Solskjaer was being, was being kind of mentioned because he was the reserve team manager and there was a suggestion he was being groomed as a potential manager in the future. But he was never, like you say, he was never, you know, gigs or he was never... It's gig. kind of like the guy, though, who breaks so many women's hearts along the way and then just takes back the woman who would have done anything for him the whole time who he never really loved that's kind of what it strikes and, me and as oh Solskjaer you're still around come and, on and he's going to get ditched in six months time for a better money yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to say that anything's been done recently with any kind of plan it just looks a bit thrown together doesn't it because if you had to say to any fans or people within the game who are the best qualified former United players to take charge Solskjaer won't be in the top 10 no they probably won't even be in the top 20 and possibly not no so you know Roy Keane even you Stam like, yeah. any, like even if you want to go foreign even if you want to leave Britain Solskjaer's not up there no no but then you know people talk about Roy and you know I, I love Roy but he's probably not he's not he's not cut out for modern day football if he'd never fell out with Fergie though he could have been groomed perfectly but I just think he's he's almost become a parody of himself he's, he's far too intense for the modern day it, you know, nowadays you know with you know, we, we spoke about Jesse Lingard off, off her, but Roy, Roy Keane and Jesse Lingard, it just would not work ever. And you, people might yeah, say but then Jesse thing. Lingard could be shown the door, which should yeah. have happened. But it's too, I've, most of the players now have this similar kind of stupid approach to life of social media. I, I, just, I just think Roy now is, it's, it's, it's just, it just feels like an outdated football personality. So it's sad, really, but I just think he would. Why didn't. do you find that Fergie's actually kind of in a way like he gave us so much success? If this was West Ham or any other club, it would just be chant after chant. But every time you go to a European away game, they're singing every single one of us loves Alex Ferguson. They're nearly singing it through gritted teeth. Why is there a level of divisiveness behind his legacy at United? Like, not every fan loves Fergie. Yeah, there's always, always been... Is that a Mancunian way of looking I, at life? I, I think it is, you know. I think, it, I think it's definitely a Mancunian thing because Man United fans have never been happy with who's on the club and who's been the manager. It's never... You know, in my lifetime, you know, when Martin Edwards was the, the chairman, they wanted him out. When they tried to sell it to Robert Maxwell, no, don't sell it to him. Michael Knighton, for about two weeks, I went to sell it to him. Rupert Murdoch, no, no, don't let him have it. And now it's gone to the Glazers. Now we hate them as well. So it's, it's a definitely a Mancunian trait to be suspicious. Of yeah, and that's why they love rebels like Eric yeah. Cantona, who, by the way, good player, but yeah. probably not. Would you call him world-class, no. Eric Cantona? His Champions League record kind of suggested he wasn't, but what he did for United as a, as a catalyst was massive. But in terms of Fergie, what, what is his relationship with the fans? You know, there's a few things over the years. There was back in 95 when uh, he sold Hughes, Kinchelski, and Ince. Yeah. That for me was when it, it all kind of there was a, a, a real vocal. Uh, the Manchester United News at the time, I don't know if you remember, had a poll in the in the paper, like a phone poll before internet happened. Should Fergie be sacked? And the majority after said, he got rid of the three boys, yeah, yeah, without knowing what was coming, and and the majority came out and said, yeah, we wanted to be sacked. And at the time, there's a lot of uh, fans who were anti Fergie, thinking, what's he doing? Is he mad? Is he crazy? Why are you selling these players? Why are you not spending any money? Because nobody really knew what the quality of these kids that came through. Then yeah. they lost to Aston Villa on the opening day. And they were rubbish, can't yeah. through kids. So from that point on, there was a kind of a, a, a schism between certain fans groups and Fergie. And then it kind of developed and Fergie became more powerful. And these fans were like, well, you know, you're just a, you're just a champagne socialist. And 
And then also when FC was founded in yeah. 05 and he told them to go and watch Chelsea and stuff like that, like it didn't, would you say Fergie sided with the Glazers or kind of knew we're in trouble here, but I just want to make sure there's 10 years of success before it all fucks up. That's do you reckon big, that, he knew the, we that, were fucked, but wanted us to do us a, a, a noble dying favor? That's the big question that nobody has the answer to because he's paid two million pound a year by the Glazers now to be an ambassador so people why wouldn't he be though because his brand though to Manchester United is vital he but, deserves two million a year but at the time his grandkids deserve two million a year until he dies see, when when it was all kicking off with the green and gold in 2009-10 and they were you know when City basically everything changed when City became Man City is the do you think that's what prompted the green and gold movement um it probably accelerated it because when City was spending all the money, United suddenly started looking for value in the market. And, you know, also because though the green and gold movement started after three leagues and two back-to-back European Cup finals, yeah. and I kind of look at that Mancunian yeah. cynicism and go, boredom yeah, is what absolutely. it was. Yeah, absolutely, boredom. We were too good. We've nothing to complain about. We kind of are now getting accused of having cockneys in our stands, and that's annoying us more than losing does. United still fans look more affected by jibes about people not supporting their local team and not playing academy players than they do winning. And they promote players like Scott McTominay, who I personally don't think is up to it, and Marcus Rashford, who I think is good, but overrated. We're 22 soon. Yeah. Do you remember the standards we used to hold Wayne Rooney to at 22? Absolutely. And, you know, Beckham buttoned skulls by the time he was 22 had won two or three titles in England regulars. So it's, um, yeah... Mancuni has always been quite suspicious of people successful, and it's just um, it's just that's the way it is. But in terms of Fergie and the Glazers and, and the, the relationship with the fans, when when City started spending the big money and Fergie started accusing City of wasting and spending, he called it kamikaze money. Fergie was happy to sign Chris Smalling and Chicharito and Bebe and what have you, and talk about value in the market. That was a time when he really should have come out and said, "We need more. We need to spend more money." And that's when a lot of the fans think that he basically swallowed it and backed the Glazers when he was so powerful he could have he could have driven a, a coaching horses through but he didn't for whatever reason what about the notion that if he'd brought in the Wesley Schneiders and these guys and he was always paranoid about players salaries and how much it kind of undermined his power that's what the big fallout with Rooney was kind of laid on what and what if Mr. Roy, you know, yeah, if he thought that we'd throw this money at things, I don't control these guys like school children yeah. anymore, which was vital to the Ferguson model. Yeah, I mean, but then you know, Van Persie was probably one of these big names. It's it's a question I don't think I'll ever be answered as to what happened back in those like maybe two thousand nine through to thirteen. But I I do think that the, the the mess United are in now was caused by you know Fergie maybe falling asleep at the you wheel. You think Fergie has a, a role in that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because. Just when my, it, it was almost when when the city spending started to happen, it was almost like United were not dubious about it, but almost mocking cities they'll never be because of us. Fergie said, "Not in my lifetime they'll never be bigger," and it's almost like they didn't take them seriously enough to the point where they went the other way rather than competing directly with City. That they thought, "Well, you know, we're bigger than you. We'll, we'll show you we can do it a different way." And uh, those three or four years when City spent, 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 and to be fair. The summer when Fergie accused of kamikaze spending, they signed Yaya Toure, David Silva, James Milner, the year after they signed Aguero. They were all fantastic value for money. And they were like 24, 35 million pounds signing. So the value then was what City spent, not what Man United spent on Chris Smalling and Bebe and Gabriel Obertan. So I do think that Fergie at the time should have pushed harder, spent a bit more money and not taken the what's the word? The, the glazer route rather as easy as he did. And I think that's why a lot of fans now are suspicious yeah, of him. So yeah, what happened in those years, I think, 
that's why they're in the mess with now because you know David Moyes inherited a squad he thought was too old it probably wasn't too old but he couldn't handle it but I just think that there wasn't enough yeah. good young players coming through but like there's not many other kind of people or club in the world that would attach any blame to a guy who brought that success like Ed Woodward the guy's job at the club commercially speaking yes that's what he was hired for by his American owners to bring commercial be- benefit to the club and he's done so but in terms of what's happened to us on the pitch we can talk about Fergie all we want. He left a squad who won the league by 11 points. That doesn't get brought to seventh by someone falling asleep at the wheel. Mm. That gets brought to seventh by the wrong guy being appointed, which Fergie's role in that appointment... Well, Ferguson was happy to claim uh, responsibility for Moyes when it happened. and then That was before he got rid of the backroom staff, though. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, if Fergie's involved in selecting him, then if, if Moyes' first mistake was to get rid of the backroom staff, then Fergie should have probably done a bit more... Yeah, how did that occur that he actually walked in and told Mike Phelan and Rennie Mullison to pack up their locker? Like, how did a guy who comes from Everton actually consider that? Insecurity. He doesn't want somebody at the club who knows more than he does and has more levers of power than he was going to pull. He he probably was suspicious of Mike Phelan because Mike would have known, you know, the owners, he would have known the players. And as a manager coming in, you, you can't kind of underestimate how egotistical a lot of managers are and David Moyes by bringing his own staff was surrounded by people who were all, all kind of junior to him and would all say yes to him and yeah. would say how great he was we thought Moyes was this nice guy who would be honoured to be the Manchester United manager would come in and take every box necessary and wasn't interested in his own ego but it turned out he actually wanted to be David Moyes the Manchester United manager as opposed to David Moyes the Fergie substitute he wanted to be David Moyes the Everton manager manager Man United he could never get to grips with the size of the club and he was terrified by the size of the club and when he first got the gig did you know yeah fucked um i think you thought top four you didn't think seventh no never thought anything as bad as that I, the first couple of weeks and the players were all saying what they always say oh it's great you know we're uh, you know we're training hard and that was that was a bit of an alarm bell ringing because you don't you don't have to run harder to be fitter to be you know it's not all about running and i think there was a an element of concern over that and i think even on his first tour of you know, pre-season tour before the season started that there were one or two alarm bells ringing. But I think I kind of knew from end of September, I think I lost at home to West Brom and I thought this, is, oh, this, 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 this isn't working. And it was obvious. That, and then... But even the lack of character in the Anfield loss, the first one, the Sturridge 1-0. Yeah, but people's... Stuff started coming out of the club that players weren't happy and players were like, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt, but thinking... And then you heard the Rio Vidic story about, you know, the Phil Jagielka videos. And uh, it was just... They just he just looked like a man totally out of his depth and just didn't just felt really uncomfortable with the size of the club and um, do you reckon that period when we lost one nil at home to Everton and Newcastle and then a few months later <clears throat> three nil at home to City and Liverpool mm. um, and although they say right now it's worse than it's ever been I don't agree with that I think that in terms of an overall dent in the football club those back to back three nils were the lowest point in modern day Manchester United People think I've got it in for David Moyes, and I don't. I think you know. I think he's a he's a decent man. He's you know he's, he's certainly a hard working guy. But I think that the damage that was inflicted that eight nine months he's in charge, the club is still suffering for. I think they really should have gone for Mourinho then, after Fergie, rather than when he arrived, because they, they had a dressing full of big big characters. Big was players. the deal agreed with Chelsea? No, we could have got. Yeah, but you know, Fergie told the Glazers in, in March time, so they could have they could have moved on it or they could have got a better option than David Moyes I don't buy the fact he was the best option available but 
It was trying to keep that purity, though, and that organic Manchester United model. This thread, this kind of... It was just this bullshit, isn't it? It's just... They, they basically made... Who do you think should have got it? Sort of Mourinho when he was fresh yeah. and still had... Yeah. And he said the charisma and that twinkle in his eye. And, and players hadn't gone mental on social media yet and yeah. that kind of PC shit that you can't tell someone you need to play better or uh, you're he, gone. He could have dealt with the likes of Rio and Vidic. That would have been beautiful. Yeah, it would have been. Fuck. I remember walking down the tunnel and everything after. Yeah, I thought then when he, um, when he walked out early when Madrid were beating us in 2013, he definitely wants this job. Fergie told him that night, did he? After uh, over a glass of wine or something yeah. that, he, that he's leaving. Um, you know, I just think... Um, they made the mis- Liverpool mistake of trying to do what had always worked, but you can't replace a genius like, like for like, because no. you can't do that. And I think every decision since has been affected by that initial decision to bring in David Moyes, and it's just the wrong. You know, it's Man United. It Chelsea might have had an agreement, but you're Man United. They keep saying that they're the biggest club in the world and what have you, but they never really act like it. What do you make of then the Van Gaal appointment? Because. I'm a fan of Louis van Gaal in terms of his football career. I think the job he was doing at United was the best he could do. And I think if he was given the time to complete his three-year plan, like he had Borthwick-Jackson playing well. He played for Scunthorpe last season. Mm. He had Fossey Mensa playing well. He had a Rashford probably still playing the best football of his career. But well, when he first came in, Ed Woodward cited a three-all draw in 1999, 15 years previous, as one of his examples of yeah. attacking football. That's the level of football knowledge we have making that decision. Uh, do, do you not remember the game from 15 years ago the 3 all he plays attacking football yeah at the time that I've been told that they went for Van Gaal because he was the best option available which again I don't buy I think they went they, they looked at Klopp at the time and Klopp I think Woodward kind of sold you out as the Disneyland of football and Klopp was just completely averse to that it's not his thing did they did they meet yeah they had discussions um, Klopp's admitted that I think in, in Germany he's, he's spoken about it I think they were very keen to get Simeone they ended up getting um, Van Gaal and it was a strange one because he hadn't managed club football for four or five years because he'd been in, in charge of the Dutch and, but all those suspicions were blown away because they had such a great World Cup with the Dutch and everyone thought this guy's a genius yeah. you know, the even team, though the draw yeah like, but even though the, even the team cruel thing in the penalty shootout yeah. this, this guy's got it and, yeah. and I, was the, I was there in the first uh, summer tour in, in, in California and, and he won every game and it was like you know after 7-1 against LA Galaxy oh, yeah. remember that the first one I remember after about two or three months in I interviewed Michael Carrick and he said it's, it's, it's great it's, you feel like you've got a boss again you know he's the boss he's a character you know compared to David Moyes when the players thought he was just lost but by the did end did you like Van Gaal as a bloke in press conferences and all uh, I thought it was funny I, I, I don't think he was a guy that you could like because he, he, he was very egotistical but, yeah but the staff at the club loved Van Gaal but you know the the play the people who worked around the club or the people that worked in they, they loved him because he was such a, a gentleman around the place. The players towards the end just couldn't face it anymore because it was it was too it was it was just too boring for the players. The the, the training was dead deadly dull and you know some to the great point performances where, though when it worked like uh, it was so predictable. And so, but I, Anfield the matter too and even City at home the same season you can kind of go this model makes yeah, sense I, of the I, other players. It was t- it was far too bogged down by. You know his own philosophy. I was speaking to one player who played under Van Gaal and had left, and he went back and he said, "We knew I knew exactly where the ball was going to go. I knew exactly where the play was going to go because he drilled it into us that much, and they were, they were so predictable that little stupid things like you had to take two touch, you had to take a touch before shooting. So he told Wayne Rooney, "Don't shoot first time, take a touch and control." This is Wayne Rooney, United's greatest ever scorer, and he's telling players to 
take a touch. The micromanagement just drove the players mad. But if you look at all Van Gaal's success, Ajax, a lot of the boys of Barcelona, it seems like people who had their first bout of professional football who he could teach worked. So if he comes to you and you're 28, yeah. he's not going to change. So, if he gets you at 18 and you if you adopt that philosophy, he can make a team out of you. And he was just starting to do that at Manchester United. I, don't know. I think it had gone off a cliff by then. I think, I think the you don't think if he got that season after the FA Cup, no, you never know what could happen no, if he I didn't get Latan in and sign Pogba? No, I just think he, the players were just, just gone to the end. I mean, he had made some pretty bad signs as well. Schweinsteiger, what was all that about? You know, he couldn't run. Falcao, strange one. Di Maria, just totally wasted Di Maria. Di Maria had a he had a personality problem though. It did, but it was kind of exacerbated by the way the manager treated him. Do you not well. think that those decisions kind of happen at boardroom level when you're giving out the salaries? When Woodward and these guys decide we're going to play a player X amount that is kind of against the Manchester United way. I mean, when I first got kind of red flags was when we sent Rojo or Nani to Sporting Lisbon, paid his full salary. Mm in exchange for Rojo for 16 million yeah I mean that was th those two summers under Van Gaal were a bit crazy really and uh, Rojo you know he's still there still hopeless and he's, he's an example of what, what's but, he uh, doing like but you look at all the players that Van Gaal signed there's hardly any left because they're all m mainly crap um, you know and the one that they let go that probably could have done a job was Daley Blint because he's had a great year at Ajax and it's just you know I, I Daley Blint is probably the best post Ferguson signing for me and Fergie loved him apparently. Fergie thought he was a classic Man United player. Really, he yeah. Told somebody that he's brave and he's versatile and he's just yeah. really slow, really, really slow. But, but so technically gifted yeah, and positional sense was brilliant. And you know, I'm convinced that if he'd have stayed, if if Marina had kept him, he would have been a much better bet than Smalling or Jones or yeah, yeah. you know Lindelof and Blint. But but getting back to Van Hal, I just think that he was out of time. You know, he was just it was just his his philosophy had been taken on by. But well, then like the Guardiola. betrayal to to win an FA Cup and know nothing about your pending dismissal well, that's, that, that's nonsense because he, he he got the job at Barcelona in the same way with Bobby Robson oh no absolutely I'm not, Hal, I'm not talking about Mourinho betraying him I'm talking about Woodward no but, he, but Van Gaal has been in the game long enough to know what happens you know how, how did he get the job in the first place did, did he not get spoken to before David Moyes was sacked I just think it would have been naive and foolish of Van Gaal to say I was stitched up he must have read every newspaper I mean I was writing in February, March. Everyone's writing that he's gone, he's toast. And it was obvious. At least with Barcelona, though, didn't they kind of give the option to send Bobby Robson upstairs? Yeah, but still Van Gaal was hired while Robson was in a job. So I have no sympathy with Van Gaal over that. N not at all, because that's just the nature of football. That's just how it is. And I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying sympathy with Van Gaal as opposed to kind of Woodward giving out that message of sliminess and betrayal, which is something that kind of sticks with you. Yeah, but it happened, you know, I remember when Man City sat Mark Hughes and brought in Roberto Mancini. The same thing. It's just what happens in football. You can't, you can't flag up everything you're going to do. There has to be an element of kind of subterfuge at times. And but if you, if you've been in the game as long as Van Gaal is, you know what's coming. And you know, I, I did an interview with him. In, I think it was in the February of that year. And I even asked about Mourinho, and he he said, "Look, if they want Mourinho, fine, but just tell me." I mean, come on, Louis, mate. <laughs> if I know, then you should know. You know, and if he didn't know, then that he said that to you. Yeah, yeah. In an interview, I did it with the Independent. When I was at the Independent. It was, uh, I'm like, are you the, you know, are you the only person that doesn't know that you're going to get sacked, basically? And that's, uh. You know, it's but, and some of the players were briefing against him to the extent where they were like, this can't carry on. So if he didn't tap into any of that, it shows it how out of touch he was. And then it comes to Mourinho, which is. Where a sense where we might have a, a minor disagreement, like I think that Jose Mourinho was sold a false pretense about what Manchester United job was going to be, 
And I think if you're getting in a character with him and his CV and you're yeah. not willing to back him after he came second in the FA Cup and second in the league, the same season as 95, basically, and Edward doesn't back you that summer and chooses a brand that is Paul Pogba, not a player or a brand over you, it's hell and it's doomed. I mean, got, let's break that down. So first of all, the, the image of the job he was sold, I think he came in thinking he could you know, take United to another level and he came at the same time as Pepper at City and, and City had been building for Guardiola for three years so he was instantly up against something he couldn't beat he just couldn't I mean because everything had been laid down for Pepper at City for three years that the spending were making so nobody can compete with that so Jose's initial season was having to, having to be the second best in his own city never mind his own league so that, that hurt his ego and then year two that's when the fire started to be lit and you could tell it Mourinho wasn't happy and it was almost like not the worst league campaign though if you take some stupid results away they came from individual yeah, errors like Huddersfield away yeah. and the rested players against West Brom and Brighton we could have got 89 league points look, pretty handily that year and he did he did at the time say it was his best achievement and looking back it probably was his yeah. best achievement but, and he, but he was mocked for that comment at the time but he became so toxic in terms of the atmosphere around the club and again it's a bit like Fergie went. but it is toxic naturally and it comes from a higher level than but, management but why didn't Jose use the power that he had which Fergie had at the time to put more pressure on Woodward you know this is he Jose didn't Mourinho. have that power Jose though well he should have done it's Jose Mourinho and if he doesn't then you but he's an employee he was an employee of Manchester but United he, Ferguson was Manchester United I agree but if 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 Mourinho offers ultimatums to Ed Woodward and doesn't get what he wants then Jose should walk but he carried on he accepted it he swallowed it yeah he should have resigned do you yeah. think but then he sacrificed on how many millions but it, it might have saved his reputation because he still hasn't got a job and I think people look at him now as it's, he could get a job tomorrow if he wanted Oh, easily, but what could he get a top, top club now? He, do you not think he could walk into a Juve in the morning now? Well, no, he's, he's available this summer in the game for Sarri. But do you not see his comments about wanting to manage nationally? Yeah, well, that, that, He has so that, much money now, maybe well, he wants to put the feet up for well, six months a year. like a guy that knows that he's not getting the jobs that he wants. So, Inter Milan, he had a great time at Inter, and they went for Conte, they could have gone for Mourinho. He's actually there waiting, he's almost saying, give me a job. And he even talks about wanting to work with Ronaldo again. But Juventus went for Sarri, so... He would have got those, I'd say, if he was properly passionate about getting them. Wasn't he very, very tight with the former Inter owners? So maybe yeah. working under new ownership would have been a bit of an awkward arrangement. I just arrangement. think that the word is out in the game now that Mourinho will go through a club in 18 months and, and fall out with everybody. And, and he's well, no winning a humorous he, amount of trophies whilst but, doing it. But that has kind of diminished. You know, his last two jobs have ended with a sack. He's not won a big trophy since... Chelsea with the Premier League, what would that be now? 15. 2015. So and the League years. Cup, same year. Yeah, but the football's bad. The football's not. The football feels like it's yesterday's football, I think. So Juventus and Inter have gone for somebody else this summer. He ain't going to get the Real Madrid job ever again because of what happened with Ramos, people yeah. like that. Barca's never mm -hmm. going to happen. Bayern Munich. That's former players that just won't allow that. Cause but, but five years ago, they'd have taken him because he was a guy that guaranteed trophies. But I don't know if Bayern would, though. Are they not so proud of their traditions and just so paranoid about infiltration? Well, they went for Pep. And they kind of. They, like, he's not really invited to the dinner parties now. Like Five years ago, Jose was the pep of his day. He was the guy that guaranteed trophies. I just think that Jose's next job, he's going to have to accept. I think PSG is the exception. He's going to have to accept that he might have to take a, a tier two club, which is not him. So he might wait for the Qatar job. or the you know. Do you think so, yeah? Oh, so, yeah. The, 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 the guy who What do you make of the Newcastle rumours? For Jose? Yeah. Well, if they're owned by a mega rich shake, that's perfect for Mourinho. Because that is exactly what he wants. He wants to go somewhere he's got a chance of competing. Wherever he's been, Chelsea, you forget Porto, Porto's where he made it. Chelsea, Real Madrid, Inter Milan were the biggest, most powerful clubs at the time because Chelsea had money to burn the first time around. 
They went to United when they were no longer the most powerful team. And I think Jose is a great, he's a great tactician, he's a great manager, don't get me wrong. But I just think if he's up against somebody with more money, he finds it hard. But like, since we've kind of began this conversation, there's been kind of slight um, suspicion over every management role. Mm. Like obviously Fergie, you give a bit of responsibility to fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, Van Gaal, outdated, Mourinho, selfish, mm. Solskjaer, not up to it. Who are you blaming for what's going on at the club? This is a problem of boardroom level. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a guy running the football club in Ed Woodward who is not fit for purpose. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are mitigating factors. You can, t- you can point to Fergie, you can point to David Moyes, but it's been six years now since Fergie left, so it can't all be about Fergie. And but Ed Woodward is who, like, do you... He's a, he's a constant threat, I, I agree. He's the, he's the guy that's been there throughout. Do you think he's qualified to be no. in, tr- in control of football matters? No. Do you no. believe in a director of football appointment to Manchester United? They need one. Is it true that him and Fergie have had a fallout with Fergie wanting um, Steve Walsh and Ed Woodward wanting an ex-player? I won't say they've had a fallout because I don't think they've been... They're not that close anyway. I mean, Do they know each other now, really? F- Fergie and Ed? Yeah. Yeah, but there's no... I won't say there's any kind of... They're kind of times to... They didn't really cross over. So when Fergie went, Ed became the man and... There's not really any relationship between us. So you can't really say they've fallen out because they. Does Ed do interviews with everyday media? Like, is he is he hard to get for? Like, why is he never answerable? Well, yeah. Well, this is the thing with Ed because when he took the job, he wanted to be contactable, and he was to the point where it's ridiculous. Everyone, everyone had his phone number, and everyone was able to get hold of him, and and people found this out. And then, you know, in fairness to Ed, who I think you're right, is not fit for the job of running the Man United Football Club. He became so accessible that everyone kind of su- suspected that every time a leak came out of Old Trafford it was from Ed Woodward and it, and it wasn't and, but nowadays he doesn't take these kind of calls or te- you can't get hold of him and I've said to the people at the club that he should do an interview now to kind of address all the issues but he doesn't want to do it and I think because he has nothing to say though does he? Absolutely because you pin him down it would be very hard for him to justify some of the decisions that have been made and you know the, the Manchester United fans I think at this point have a responsibility to kind of put our energy into something that's more rebellious than saying Glazers out. The Glazers aren't leaving until the right offer comes in. You're not going to do anything by protesting, but Ed Woodward can leave. You march the streets enough, you can get a director of football in or you can get him moved on. And I had this discussion with somebody the other day that Ed Woodward isn't judged on Football results. He's, he's judged by the Glazers. By fans, he is though. Yeah, but they don't pay his wages. Of course, but and the fans can make it complicated for the Glazers to continue his employment. But we've found out with the past that the Glazers are very stubborn. They're almost deaf to protest. It stubbornness is probably the, the detachment as well. And for them, I think that the, the Man City, Liverpool's owners, Chelsea's owners, to a certain extent, their first priority is to win, win football matches, win trophies. I don't think the Glazers' first priority is to win. It's to oh, make sure. No. It's to make sure that the, the commercial wheels keep turning, the money keeps coming in. And Ed Woodward, for them, is succeeding. What about when the point comes that we've won so little in such a long time that the brand actually starts lo- to lose a bit of value? Yeah, well... They'll sell by then, you're saying. They'll just fuck it off to the next guy who thinks Manchester United's still a brand and they'll be laughing. Potentially, but I, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not quite sure how I, how I view this because the brand it, is suffering by the lack of success because big companies want to be associated with success. But... Liverpool haven't won the title for 29 years and they're still a big commercial brand. But in terms of the brand, I've, I've seen numbers that, have, you know, when Aon took the uh, shirt deal, that their, their kind of brand resonance in places like India went up 400% every time United played. So that's what, and the reason Chevrolet got the, the, the name on United shirts is because of what they can do for Chevrolet in China. So United are still 
one of the most kind of successful shirt space in the world. And that is the problem. Even when they're struggling, they're still getting much more coverage than Man City, than Arsenal, because it's Man United. So it's, it's almost like a contradiction. The worse they do, the more visibility they get at times. So yes, big companies want to be associated with success, but they also want to be associated with someone that gets their brand in the newspapers and TV, and United do that anyway. So that's what's keeping the Glazers there because successful or not, Man United remain a massive, massive brand to associate themselves with. You know, so like I've said, I've said it many times before myself, and I think it's something that a lot of fans might not realise, but the Glazers are purely view Manchester United as a company, yeah. as a business that they may sell on for more, there's something that can be a legacy for the family. They don't care if we beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final no. in 2018. So with that being kind of the mutual agreement we both have here, and with you kind of also not necessarily saying the odd manager might have been a victim at Manchester United, is your outlook on the future of the club just unbelievably bleak? Um, it is because they had an opportunity after Mourinho was sat to do a proper recruitment job and they allowed themselves to be kind of lulled into a false picture by Solskjaer. And they, and they thought that it's kind of give the fans an illusion of yeah. caring about the club by having the, the guy who's in it kind of it makes Woodward exempt from criticism the minute he heard people were calling for Solskjaer having yeah. to get the job he goes all I did is do what you say yeah when you know back in December when Mourinho was sat that the word that everyone was getting was that they wanted Pochettino and you know they could have got him because even if he has got a £40 million release clause that's still less than Fred you know, yeah. it's not like you're paying for a guy that that makes players better and has got a track record. He's not won anything, but he makes players and teams better. But they've gone for Solskjaer, which just doesn't really strike me with any confidence because I don't Did you know. fall for the Oles at the wheel thing? Did you fall for the win ratio? Did you think maybe there is you know a something? spirit here? I probably did because I was told by somebody in the game who, after, this was like end of January, February time, and it, I don't think he'd lost a point. He'd won every game up to that point. And he said, look, just be careful because momentum only lasts so long. Tactics win big games, not momentum. And that proved to be the case because the, after the Arsenal defeat, the wheels began to fall off a bit. And to, if his first twelve games were his last twelve games, he'd have had no chance. It'd have been he wouldn't even have seen it as caretaker period. But so yeah. he'd gone from having all this great momentum to having absolutely no momentum and just the negativity. Do you think Solskjaer has no tactics? You don't even know how to break down his managerial know-how. You I've just not, think. I've not seen any example. I've not seen. You know, with Pochettino, with Klopp, with Guardiola, you see how they can turn a game or they can make a substitution. I've not seen any evidence of Solskjaer to suggest that he could be the guy that makes a difference. So, again, with the owners not caring mm. about what happens on the pitch, about them having a guy employed to run the club whose job is to um, they don't even care. The thing is, they don't even care what happens off the pitch, I don't think, because the, when they played Man City at Old Trafford in end of April, was it? It was absolutely pissing down in Manchester that day. And we get there and at six o'clock it's absolutely pissing out and the roof starts leaking and it's like you couldn't make it up it was like this classic metaphor as to the state of Man United now the roof was letting in water at, at, at Old Trafford you know and then they get beat by Man City so on the pitch they've gone at all levels and they haven't spent a penny on the ground of any substance for 10-12 years and the roof is leaking the main stand roof at Old Trafford is leaking against Man City it's like sums it up it's so do you think run. they put but they have they've been generous with transfer fees in, had, if yeah, anything, too much, and the this salaries is, they've allowed to be been given this, out this are nearly too generous. Yeah, they, they, threw, they threw money at it. So for that, for the last few years, they've, they've spent the money, which has kind of quelled the unrest. Because the one accusation was that they weren't putting any money in. They haven't put any money in, 
but they're so successful at generating they put it they put that back in but it's it's the lack of strategy and the lack of kind of qualified people to make the decision it's almost like they're just just panic measures panic buying this that, Gary Neville made a really good point he said if you're Man United every job at your club should be filled by the the best person available the best person in the world available for that job and I can't think of anyone at United that actually fits that description because the manager's not the best in the world the players aren't the best in the world the chief exec ain't the best in the world the head of scouting is the, the chief scout is to the guy that was Owen Ferguson in charge Jim Lawler so they haven't moved with the times you look at Man City and you say yeah pe- best you know, best coach in the world Chicky Bagiristein great top record best CEO best sorry, sure, director yeah. of football yeah. it's like where's the kind of excellence at Man United where's, where's the kind of the top quality people you don't see them yeah and I I I completely agree but my question is as a worried fan and in in quite a serious way like we all joke about football but I mean it's not funny when you're punching your fucking TV when Juan Mata's running around because how does a guy who my granny would beat in a foot race she's dead four years um, how does um, how does he get a new three year deal yeah it's crazy journalistically speaking is the restrictions on the pressure you can put down certain avenues? Do you write what sells to the everyday kind of not idiot football fan, but like any walk of life? We like we believe what we read. Mm. Mata gets new three year deal. How is in the headline? Mata, one of the worst signings in modern Manchester. I actually believe one of the worst signings in modern Manchester United history. If you look at the fee at the time in twenty fourteen before that kind of recession that were covered and fees went the way they should have went the whole time. So we stayed around that 30 because the recession happened, you know what I mean? We kind of went, 30 was a naughty figure that kind of went into the mid-10s. He arrives in a helicopter, he's won European Cups, he's won Euros, he's won World Cups. He's one of the best attacking players in the fucking world. Since his debut at Cardiff, Mm. what's he had, four good games? Mm. I agree, he's slow, he's... He's not even creative. No, and he's, he's too lightweight. And the, what they need is a number 10 that can make a difference. And the problem with Matter is, everyone thinks he's such a nice guy and he's a great guy, and he is, but you shouldn't get a contract for being a good guy. No. You know, the, the last, and this is an example of the, the lack of clear thinking or clarity at United. So Marcus Rojo got a big deal last summer. Marcus Rojo, for Christ's sake. Ashley Young, Phil, Small, Phil, Phil Jones, Chris Smalling. And Let's just start calling them Phil Smalling. <laughs> yeah, we, we may as well. They've all got new deals in the last 12 months. Ander Herrera, who, you know, I, I think Ander Herrera is an average player. Poor player, I'd say. But he'd probably still give you more than they do because at least he will run... A, at least Jones on a good day shows glimpses of what he could have yeah, been. Yeah, I think Herrera for me is like a modern-day version of Alan Smith who, limited player who tackled and slid in his arse a bit and got the fans on his side. And Herrera's great at PR, isn't he? Yeah, and he's gone. I don't think... Well, they will miss him because they haven't replaced... Where's he going, though? PSG. That's sorted, is it? Yeah, it's all done. But well, Fellaini went in January. Again, Fellaini, no great loss. I'd rather Fellaini than Herrera. Fellaini, Herrera and Valencia have all gone. The three experienced players. And they've signed a, a £15 million kid as a winger. It so. doesn't matter if Valencia's experience. First of all, his kind of mastering of the English language was nothing oh, yeah. short of... I, I don't know if you recall the 2013 FA Cup tie against Chelsea when we were leading 2-0 in Old Trafford and ended up drawing 2 well, went back to Stamford Bridge and lost 1-0 due to them. But we actually would have done the double in Fergie's final year, yeah. I believe. Wigan won the fucking thing. We beat Chelsea in that quarter if we would have won it. Um, Antonio Valencia's performance in Old Trafford and that 2 all was so disgusting that I've never forgiven him for it. Yeah. Well, it's true, I mean, it's true, but 
I'm making the point of the manpower in the shot that the problem they've got they've let three senior players go and right now would you call them senior though would you would you walk into a Manchester United dressing room if you're a young guy who's signed going oh Ander Herrera tell me how to get two international caps yeah well, there you go Antonio tell me how to move from right midfield we signed right wingers in the late noughties and tens and Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia and the club was so fucked Gabby Robertson yeah, but no, but and we turned our full. We, we made our full backs out of failed wingers. Well, that's the pro- and that is it. The stu- the, the no club season. does that though. No, West Ham don't do no, that, man. No, it's crazy. But why is Ashley Young still there? You know, Jones and Smalley I can understand because they're English and they're not thirty yet. And there's a quota thing we have to get English players. But keep one of them. Don't keep both. No, and quite clearly, they're bad for each other. Quite yeah. clearly, though, standard. Quite clearly, they'd benefit off the other one leaving. If Jones was left on his own and he saw us bringing a Toby Alderweireld and Bay, who I believe. Has all the, I think he's clumsy. I think he likes discipline. But I think Eric Bay is quick. I think he's good in the ball. I think yeah. he's strong. I think we can make a player Absolutely. out of him. I agree. And I think if Jones is left with a him and an Alderveld and even a Lindelof, he looks like a hard worker. Mm. He kind of goes, okay, this is the standard. Yeah, and him and Smalling can't go for a coffee and yeah. go, how shit will we today, yeah. mate? No, there's, there's, absolutely. I think, um, but getting back, back to matter, it's just, it's insane. You know, give him a one-year deal, max. Don't give him a two plus one. But I think United are so brand obsessed that he has that very clever idea, I'll give 1% of your wages to poverty, that we want to be associated with a CSR policy. Mm, maybe. I don't know. But nobody else is taking it up, have they? Yeah. Not many of his teammates. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and even, and Matter didn't even look like a player on the Solskjaer that Solskjaer wanted. But Solskjaer wants pace and movement up front, and Matter doesn't have any of that. So just to, from, from Manchester United standpoint, first of all, actually also, why is everyone so against Accardi coming in? Because we think that his wife's his agent and he doesn't bring the right team. I'd rather have a guy who shags his teammate's wife than a guy who dabs and chants beans into a camera oh, at 26. I think, I think from a football perspective... He scores goals. In Italy. And it, in the Italian league, you know, look at Higuain who came to Chelsea from Italy. Has not the worst Chelsea stint? It's not even six months. We've oh. always seen people struggle in the first six I months. I just think the Italian league is, is a tough place to judge forward because... It's not as good as it was, and especially if you're playing for the bigger clubs, you're going to score a lot of but goals. But do you not see it in his touch and in the style of finishing? Potentially, but um, you know there might be better options out there. I, I don't know. I, mean, I think. But if we're if we're trying to hedge the Lukaku deal and get him done, because he needs to go, he is a size 14 yeah. boot. Yeah, I think uh, there must be better options. I, there's a couple of defenders at Inter Milan that might. I mean, swap deals don't really happen anyway. But you just get the car out of the club because he's not a Man United player. He's not good enough and. You know, never uh, was by the way. You I'm, don't play at West Brom and no. Everton until 25 and be considered world I, I, class. I look back to that summer, which was it 2017, when it was a choice of Lukaku or Morata, and I'm still not sure United got the worst out of that deal. To be honest, because yeah. Morata was even worse. So, uh, but th- there's a certain level of strikers out there. And, and Do you think Rashford's good enough to be our out and out centre forward, though? Yeah, but he's, yeah, I, th- I think. He's Do you only, think he can uh, actually at, tw- at 21? I don't think he. I don't think he's ready. But I think he can't finish though. The game has changed now. We have. Nobody has the centre forward anymore. It's all three. It's three fours that move. But around. we still want the guy who gets thirty in all comps. But United have never really had that. You know, they had uh, we Van Nistelrooy. We had Ronaldo. With Van Nistelrooy, they didn't. He, everything went through him, and they didn't win as much as it was at, back in those days. It was the, you get three players in midfield scoring fifteen goals each, and that's what they got to get back to, rather than focusing on one guy who scores the goals. But even the way Rooney got hit twenty in all comps in the very yeah. odd time thirty, Ronaldo. You know, we need the guy who's going to at yeah. least get us 25 in Absolutely. all comps. Yeah, but you also need your midfielders to start winning with 25, 30 goals as well. But who do you want to be the number nine who plays in the middle of two wide men or two kind of guys who swap and, and change? Who's the centre forward? From, do you think Marcus Rashford? 
Not at the minute. No, I think I would give Sanchez one more go. I think there's a player in Sanchez. Centre forward. Yeah. They played there at Arsenal. Had a really good... Really yeah, good yeah. I, I think... And I don't think neither he nor, nor Pogba have been the same player since Sanchez went to United. I think Sanchez and Pogba are just incompatible. Why do you think Sanchez has literally become what he's become? Do you think it's because he has too much money and he's too... No, I think, who, who can actually put in that effort and training if you've that money? How can you... I think when he arrived, I think he... It was it was just knackered because he, I think he played for the four previous summers and it's it turned off at Arsenal for for six months his last six months there, and I think he couldn't switch it back on again, and by the time the second season came round, Mourinho had just taken against him and he was he had an impossible situation Mourinho he hated Mourinho, so Sanchez did yeah because he just didn't get, get any kind of support you know players like an arm around the shoulder these days but he didn't get any support he would play that position by Mourinho playing the right too often and, and I just think the last eighteen months he's had he's had injuries as well. I just think he's had a, a really, really tough start. In, but he's 30 now, and people say he's got a lot of miles on the clock. But I do think that there's definitely a player in Sanchez. You have to treat him differently, maybe, but there's a player. Do you there. say that from a place of knowing we can't get rid of him because his wages are too high, so there's no point no, in the no. negative? Or do you say from a place of genuine belief? No, I believe there's a way to get something out of Sanchez. I, I've seen him, I saw him play for Chile at the Confederations Cup two years ago, and I thought, the first time I'd watched him really closely, I'm thinking, this guy doesn't stop running, and he's a real pest he'll, he'll chase everything down he can score goals and for whatever reason injuries Mourinho playing that position it's not happened at United but I do think that if they manage him properly I think there's a play with Sanchez just briefly want to go through um, I also wouldn't necessarily overly disagree with you I think that I wouldn't be surprised if he hits 15 goals next season and I also think that Fred is a player and I think that some people think Fred's this kind of joke. He has the name literally Fred. That's yeah. quite funny. It's like shares it with a butcher from Corrie. That, that adds to the humour. But I think that if you look at Fred's game, he can tackle and he can pass in a way that he doesn't want that ball back. If he'd went to City, he just would have held mm. position, tackle, give him the short pass. Yeah. He's playing for us. He gives the short pass. He's getting it back. He's going, I don't know what to do with this yeah. thing. Then Fred gives the ball away. I think Fred has a big season next year if we can fill the players around them. That's it. There's, there's some players at the minute with the current players are incompatible with United. And I think Fred's one of them because he's surrounded by average players who don't know what to do with it. I think Pogba's the same. I think if if you had a team of players that, like when Pogba was at Juventus, who would let Pogba do what he does best, it'd be great. But he's surrounded by players that are inferior. That means he has to do the stuff he can't do, like tra tracking back and tackling. It's not his game, but how do you get from point A to point B where you have these players that can play with it? Because it's, it's getting the right players in. And Mathis, you just want them gone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, another player that's not exactly bless your pace. Yeah, and a great guy in his peak, but he's just and his first season at United impressed me. He's just, he is just sadly Chelsea past. He's done really well at Man United over recent years. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But um, just in terms of current kind of transfer speculation, I know like does it frustrate you even as a journalist that obviously you don't work for one of the red tops, but like these guys seem to be able to just put out a different rumour every day and it gets a few clicks on Facebook and Twitter sales and it's just a waste of everybody's time to yeah. be honest transfer rumour summer season must be frustrating for a journalist uh, yeah June in particular because but Wan-Bissaka done no 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 it's not, not done not it's happened this morning before I came in no I mean I was told at the start of the week that there's still a big gap between what United are offering and what Palace want and I've been told the same with Maguire and Leicester United have, have been low whoa 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 whoa, whoa. I didn't know I, I knew we were in talks or kind of were rumoured with Maguire but surely we don't want him apparently they've offered 40 million and less than 80 so why United you, offered you, 40 you million think he's, you think he's you think he's an improvement of Smalling and Jones um, I'm dubious about that to be honest I'm, I am dubious about it but I think he's yeah I think he's an improvement on them but I, I don't why, think what story with Toby Aldeveld why, why aren't we just sorting that out 
was there for 25 million before the end of the window. Um, yeah, let's, just, let's just get it done. Let's just actually have him holding up the jersey in FA. Fitness concerns. But you're right, you know, it's a deal that can be done quite easily, but United don't get deals done quickly anymore. No. There, there's so many. It's almost like they have to sign some um, piece of paper. So Basaka well. probably happening. I think Basaka's a good player. We will overpay for him, but he was very, very impressive last season. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not convinced. And you think that he could be season. too easily convinced by Lingard to kind of join the social media club? I just, I just think he's had one season at Palace, a good season at Palace, but how will he will he be contaminated by the, the Phil Jones Chris Smalling disease that, yeah you know you've got a Man United as a prospect and become delete not coming stop wasting our time not not coming no just where is he going Barca I don't, I don't believe PSG. the PSG shit do you think that's happening yeah you think someone of his ilk will actually go to Paris yeah he's represented by Mina Raiola so all bets are off basically um, Gareth Bale not coming I was, coming. I, I was told in March that he's not on that list and Again, it was repeated by the club. Not interested. How arrogant of us. I'd take him right now. But, I don't give a shit if he's 29. But I reckon get to the first week of August. United haven't got a big signing. He's desperate to leave. And guess what? What will happen? Oh, let's get bringing Gareth Bale. I'm not I'm not sure his oh, fitness record merits doesn't him. matter, man. He's so good, though, doesn't he? If he can be fit. Even, yeah. even take him at 70. No, yeah, yeah. This won't be a Sanchez. He's too good, man. He's too no, competitive. I, I think that Bale would improve United. But if they do sign it for the wrong reasons, it'll be a kind of a panic buy in the last week the window but debatably and I said this recently the most impressive British footballer ever if you look at the CV yeah, four absolutely. European Cups Wales yeah. to the semi two PFA player of the year that's crazy successful shit. export absolutely and Declan Rice I know he signed a new contract but no not happen you're asking that because he used to play for Ireland no well no <laughs> I actually I wouldn't blame my fuck off to England too uh, Declan Rice I just think he's this summer's Eric Dyer I don't know I just think yeah. you don't buy into Declan Rice no I can't. You can't judge a player after one season at West Ham and a couple of games for England against rubbish teams. I think um, let, let's see what he's really about. There's a few more things I wanted to ask you um, that kind of weren't necessarily related to club football. And the first thing was obviously I'd read a lot of your articles and, and have done for years because I think that when you read them, you can kind of sense there's an element of reality behind them as opposed to sensationalism. But um, you've been quite critical of the hooliganism amongst England fans recently as as Gareth Southgate has mm -hmm. do you think that it's more of debatably a regulatory problem as opposed to the fault of these people because I mean football is a working class game and at the end of the day they've provided the original interest and the, the, the original hype that has made this multi-billion dollar company that provides not only great tax money to the government but jobs for people like Gareth Southgate who have come out criticising these people as opposed to labelling them idiots etc etc can we not kind of sympathise with the fact that these people might not necessarily have the luxury of the correct education and that hundreds of thousands of them go and watch this sport every week as opposed to kind of commit crime on the streets and why don't we just ensure that they can't get in those situations by making a bit more of a tailgating not necessarily plagiarism of tailgating but a bit more of a fun environment as opposed to saying let's throw them in that stingy boozer and have four horses outside and wait for them to come at us there's lots of answer there uh, England football fans abroad I, I think education is, is definitely something that you can you know put a finger on over the years but it's, it's just to be amongst them and around them is just horrific and now when I uh well, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I used to do quite a lot of Ireland games, you know, home and away. And it was always a pleasure to do Ireland games because the fans are the same sort of demographic, young guys, middle-aged guys, older guys. But the Irish fans don't go around throwing chairs and singing songs about their past. Well, maybe they do, but not kind of empirical, like, let's don't... 
The one thing that strikes me about the England fans is whenever you, whenever you watch an England game or whenever you, you, you're unfortunate enough to be surrounded by them in any city in Europe, they don't <laughs> sing about the, they don't sing football songs or songs about the players. They sing about they sing Rule Britannia, God Save the Queen, about the war. I mean, Jesus, the war ended seventy odd years ago. None of these were kids were alive. At the IRA now, I, I grew up through it during the troubles. You know, every time when I used to get home after school as a kid in the eighties, there was a story about some atrocity in Belfast or somewhere else in Northern Ireland. And I, and I, I lived through it, and I and I lived through the Good Friday Agreement and the, the process of how, how it all kind of the, the ceasefire came. And these twenty odd year old lads that sing about no surrender to the IRA, well, everybody surrendered, really, didn't they? You know. The government surrendered, the IRA surrendered, and it's over. And it's, it's so. What what is the value of singing no surrender? What what I, I, I don't understand. I think that though also you come from Manchester, which is more or less an Irish county. Yeah. Like there's not many people I know from Manchester, and I know many that don't have in some way an Irish link, and they've been raised Mancunians, and that's why so many of us love United, especially up north in Belfast, where yeah. the kind of height of the troubles is. A lot of them love Manchester United but um, but it's not but those, uh, the right. IRA are worse than a lot of Mancunian English people think they are oh, absolutely but I mean it was 25 years ago last week since the IRA bomb yeah yeah 25 years ago oh, was it 20? no sorry 23 so you know this city has also been scarred by the troubles as well and yeah uh, it didn't kill anyone though it was only no, financial it damage I mean a lot of people in Manchester would say it was the best thing that ever happened to Manchester seriously I'm, I'm not saying that as a, being facetious but it, it did regenerate the city and changed everything but but you know, getting back to the England fans thing, it's just they they are travelling around with this stupid idea that the way to represent not England but Carlisle, Scunthorpe, all these little because they don't have, yeah, they don't have a big stage for their club. It's almost like the, the way to do it is to stand on a table with a seventeen tattoos on the legs with a bulldog and a and a poppy and say I'm English and we've taken I I, I can't it probably take seven podcasts to, to kind of work why can't they sort it out locally before things occur they're the people who are administering these tickets the well, FA administer these tickets but the problem is you can stop these guys getting tickets but they'll still travel anyway because the stag do mentality or the it's so easy to get anywhere in Europe now you can you know I mean they play Czech Republic in Prague on a Friday night in October I mean who who agreed to play in Prague on a Friday night in October I mean that, that, again, the FA needs to ask the question. There's, there's some things they can deal with. And some, they can't stop people traveling, but they can say, let's play it on a Tuesday night, maybe, or let's not play in Prague. Yeah. You know, do, you, do you think that these guys, though, they're from England, the inventor of football, and they're from the class that invented a game that has now been manipulated by people from the upper middle class mm. to sell corporate tickets. Yeah, absolutely. And they invented this game, and now they look to the right, and there is somebody with his kind of three, four kids, five kids, and a woolly cap and he's reading the Financial Times, then looking up at the game, and what they're saying is, listen, our tickets are 70 quid when they used to be 20. We invented this game. Our love of this game, our passion is what made this big, and now you're taking over it and attaching money, and we can't afford to watch well, our own shit. The anger of hooliganism, not yeah. necessarily England international away fans, but the general violence from football fans, a social problem. Yeah, well, I mean, the social this country is a mess, isn't it? Because everyone's so angry at everything. You know, the Brexit thing has made people angry, and you, and I think you're right about how so the Premier League has become a middle class corporate mm. affair. That these, these hooligans are not even I would call them hooligans just dicks, basically. They 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 are priced out of the Premier League because when you go to a Premier League ground, it's it's multicultural. It's it's men, it's women, it's kids. When you watch England away, it's 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 men, it's white men, early twenties, late forties, 
it's, there's not there's very very few women that go watching England the world. There's very few kids. So when go. you were talking about hooliganism, you were in that article. You were just talking about internationally. You weren't talking about the odd scuffle that happens at United, Liverpool, or West Ham. You, you don't really see it. So it's. it's I mean, There'd be a little bit of just still kind of unnecessary yeah. hostility as in we're here to watch a football game yeah. and talk about tactics and he's calling me a cunt and throwing a coin at me. Yeah. We're not brawling down a Portuguese yeah. alleyway. But, but also, you very rarely see Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, even Chelsea. I mean, we had the Chelsea race thing in Paris a couple of years ago. But you, you very, when Champions League games happen or Europa League games, you very rarely see English fans abroad these days causing trouble on a European trip. It only happens on international football with England. So why is that? Because... A lot of the fans that travel are disenfranchised in the Premier League. They support clubs that never go anywhere. And it's almost like a, a rite of passage now to be, to go on an England trip, to throw a bottle and to be chased by a riot policeman and put it on Instagram. It's just, it's massively depressing. I, I don't know how you stop it. I really don't. Just, just a few more things before we finish. Um, one of them is that I'd kind of be a believer that, and I saw again one of your articles recently in which you said if Van Dijk wins the UEFA Nations League, he might be in for a shout with a Ballon d'Or. I, and I, I read that and I go, I don't think Mark Ogden believes this. <laughs> um, international football for me is dead. Yeah. I think it's gone. I think the UEFA Nations League is a way of trying to add um, hysteria to international football yeah. before we all go, hold on. Qatar's making us play this thing in the winter we ain't watching and they don't want teams sending their Olympic squads because Fox Sports who have already committed 400 million to show them the World Cup international football is something of the past ever since globalisation of the club game came in it doesn't matter everyone goes to it I say Messi's the best do you think Messi's the best ever? Uh, who's better than him? I think, I mean, this whole Messi-Ronaldo debate. I mean, I grew up as a Marad Maradona was the... Maradona you know, scored 20 goals yeah, on his best seasons. Yeah, though. absolutely. But back then, the game wasn't as, you know, bent towards four as it is now. You can't tackle anymore. But Messi's a genius. I'm not, I'm not of course you can't tackle, but you, there was other things that also, like, so attackers couldn't... Attackers used yeah. to be able to pull defenders yeah. down when they were dribbling. Like, it all weighs itself out. Lionel Messi's on a different league to Diego Maradona. He is in the modern day. I don't know what because he has the dribbling, the creativity, but he also scores don't, sixty. Don't take, don't take my childhood away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm an Englishman saying yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. But I just think. I mean, getting back to the Van Dyke thing, you're right. That that was a piece that I didn't exactly write with the full kind of uh, belief. But the the reason for that was just to boil it down. Van Dyke had gone through a season. Nobody dribbled past him. He played against Messi. Played against X, Y, and Z. And it was just that he was playing Ronaldo. If he can do that with Ronaldo, he'll have kept all the best attackers in the world quiet. It's not a vintage year, you know, Messi's not won a Champions League. Ronaldo I meant in terms of you kind of valuing the UEFA Nations League, which oh, I yeah, think is well, an invention. It, it was not about the UEFA Nations yeah. League, it was about, you know, if he can kind of keep Ronaldo quiet as he's kept it. But, you know, Would like, you agree that international football right now, like even with France winning the last World Cup, like if, if 20 years ago, if United had a World Cup winning midfielder, it meant something yeah. different. Yeah. Then Pogba now. The World Cup's dead. So the argument that Messi hasn't won a World Cup is redundant when they say he's not the best player ever. Because Bayern Munich, um, Liverpool, City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, mm. and debatably Tottenham would all win the World Cup now if they were in it. Yeah, listen, when I go to a Champions League game, it feels much more an event and a, a yeah. showcase of the best in the world. When Knott's Forest used to win the European Cup, man, they wouldn't they wouldn't have got to the last 16 no. of a World Cup. Now it's different because we have a global yeah. side. They had a team of five internationals yeah. on it. The, the World Cup is... Anachronism. I mean, it's, it's there for a reason. It's because FIFA want to make money out of it. And when you get there, it feels like an event. And I wasn't in England last year when it all kicked off with the the kind of the frenzy. I was in yeah. Russia, but it felt like it does bring people together. You can't. It does 
bring a country together in, in a way that I mean you look through I mean with the Irish back in so, well certainly I think I was in Poland in 2012 and I can imagine back in Ireland at the, at the time of the Euros first time in what 20 years in the Euros yeah but the biggest applause that happened in the group stage when we lost to Spain Italy and Croatia was Sean St. Ledger taking a yellow car for tripping Iniesta on the I, halfway line I thought the biggest line. applause was the, was, was the singing and a dance for the fields of Athens right which I think Roy Keane made everyone buys it <laughs> everyone buys it though and Roy Keane was right yeah. everyone outside of Ireland buys were yeah. the great fans the IRA are innocent Conor McGregor's a great fighter, not a great businessman, and that boxing match with Mayweather was legit. The Irish sell a victimhood no, like no, you wouldn't I believe. I I Listen, I was being facetious there, but I'd much rather have that than uh, fans throwing white chairs in uh, in nice cities in Europe. But anyway, but yeah, I think international football. I've, I've said it for a long time. It's just it's just a total non-event. And then even the World Cup last year, everyone's getting carried away with England, yeah. and it was it was nice. To there be. was no draw there, and you know the real problem is it's actually hampered Manchester United because if Jesse Lingard wasn't part of that team. I think that after the season he had there, together. we'd be going. Let's get yeah. him out of here. I mean, let's, England, England B. Have you interviewed Lingard? A couple of times, yeah. Not not one on one, but he's, he's does he come across as kind of absent with the current events in terms of footballing terms? Very, or very, very. It, it, the, the personality projects in the media is very kind of. It's like yeah, basic training today, and he, he keeps his personality back for his Instagram videos. Yeah, but just in England, I mean, they beat Panama, they beat Tunisia, just. They scraped a penalty shoot at past Columbia. They didn't really beat anyone of any note. And it, everyone was getting carried away by it. There was no real quality. and There, was, there wasn't even a great team in the World Cup last year. No, no team was like, wow, they've kind of reinvented In terms game. of media personalities, like, would, you have, would you have been interviewing in the days where the Beckham and the Giggs is? Because you'd be of a yeah, similar yeah. age, similar yeah. age. Cause you were coming up the same time yeah, yeah. as those boys. And I saw you do an interview recently with Neville and Skulls in the class of 92. Um, would they have been kind of less media trained than the boys today and more their personality would have came out or was it just coming into things then? Just, it was just coming in and, and to be fair, they, they were quite monosyllabic at times as well. So it, I've always found that even now, if I'm doing an interview with a player, I'd much rather interview a player who's, who's in his 30s because they've got a lot more to say, they're a lot more confident yeah. about saying it. They're not looking around thinking, why is he asking Did you ever do Balotelli? No. But I had no interest in Balotelli, I just thought he was an absolute dick. Yeah. And I just... A, a player that's whose reputation just way exceeded his ability and his achievements. A bit like Pogba in a sense, but at least Pogba's won things. But Balotelli now, not for me. And then um, just before, um, just just two more things. And I saw this was a very interesting one. And I appreciated this because the media narrative is um, kind of going the other way. People saying City are the best Premier League team ever, uh, based off the fact that their points total in the last two years. I argue Mourinho's Chelsea. Yeah. I argue United from 07 to 09. United from 99 to 01 and I'd nearly debate that kind of United 94 team as well as Arsenal's Invincibles I don't think it's close I think we had a Premier League this season where there was certain teams that were weaker mm. than other seasons I don't think the league was necessarily although we had two teams in the European Cup final it was by no means the strongest Premier League ever No it's like when in America they kind of disparagingly call like 30 states to flyover states because nothing ever happens there you know but it's, the Premier League last year was like the flyover 14 wasn't it the bottom 14 were just, just couldn't compete That Huddersfield team I think, the, I think the best I think the Chelsea and Mourinho team first time was formidable. I think I think the best two teams in the Premier League year were the United and Arsenal teams in '99 because the Arsenal team that won nothing that year was a brilliant team. It, it, it made United even better because they won the double the year before the Arsenal team. I think that they were formidable in every department. I think both of those would have given City a true game, and we saw in the Champions League that. City were vulnerable against yeah. quality teams, and that vulnerability wouldn't happen in those yeah. Fergie United teams. No, and I think. Or even Chelsea's. Everybody wants to say today's is best. It's like you and Messi before, you know, it's kind of... Uh, but you have to give respect to the past and it's a different game, but it's just... 
why do you have to say yeah they're the best team ever you know they're the best they're not really they're, they're a great team to watch but yeah. you know they retain the title so that's a start with it but that United team 07 to 09 07 FA Cup final yeah. European Cup semi 08 European Cup yeah. league FA Cup quarter 09 league cup FA Cup semi mm. European Cup final league that is in terms of a run of dominance unrivaled yeah. and what, you know, Ronaldo. they don't get the credit because it was Fergie's what fourth grade team yeah Ronaldo and Tevez would you have been one of those journalists in 05 after Mourinho first got a hold of England saying Fergie's past it? Or did you believe he could go again? Did you ever write an article that you truly regret? Because uh, as a journalist, you're putting your arse in a bacon slicer oh, every be, time you go be, to work. There'll be so many. There'll be, I can't think of any particular... But God, I mean, there'll be so many because a lot of the time you have to write an opinion based on what you've just seen and there's no real sense of perspective. You know, that there'll be things that you've got massively wrong. And I, 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 I'm not even going to argue I haven't, but... Back in 05, they'd just lost to Benfica, not take the Champions League. I'm pretty sure I was one of those that was saying, you know, it's got to end. And really, yeah? I must have been. Because I, 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 there would have been no reason back then to say, everything's fine, don't worry about it. The young because, Rooney and the young Ronaldo, though. Yeah, but at the time, you know, I'll tell you one thing I did say. I, I, whether I wrote it or not, I'm not sure, but I remember in 06, after the whole wink gate when Rooney was sent off, my view at the time was that one of them has to go and it has to be Ronaldo because Rooney's a much better player. From that point on, Ronaldo came back and he just went like that. That was scary. Even on opening day when he got the but goal he, against Fulham, it was just yeah, like, okay. But in 2006 at the time, he was still, not as he, what's he got? But I mean... He started heating up from January of 06 yeah. on, getting the odd brace, but we never, like, he said he was going to be this player, but I don't know if it, it was too obvious to everyone. And finally, I've just put together a... From my opinion, I've obviously read your articles for many years, and when you're a United fan, there's not many sources you can trust, so Ogden is one of the names that I always look for. Um, but I've put together a Manchester United Fergie 11 mm. for me, and I just want to see what your disagreements are with this. Van der Sar, mm. we'll come to it, we'll do the team and then come back. Erwin, Stam, Ferdinand, Neville. Keane, Skulls, Ronaldo on the left, Beckham on the right, Rooney off Rude. Yeah, but you're younger than me, so I can see that. I, I what, do you, what are you disagreeing with? Well, first of all, the goalkeeper. How? Well, Schmeichel, for me, was... He made more mistakes than Edwin, though. But he won more games. He, he reinvented the game, and he was just... And he made... Yeah, it was because he was new, though, wasn't it? It's the whole thing that he was the first, but at the end of the day, Van der Sar was such a cool head, man. He was much better with his feet. But look at the defenders he played behind Van der Sar. I mean, Schmeichel played behind... You know, Bruce and Palace were great, but they weren't the same ilk. I just think... Stam though remember the yeah Stam was amazing I just think Schmeichel for me at that game at Newcastle there were so many games like that but he was, he was just an early Sky Sports and, and those images stay yeah. with you but I think if even if you look at Van der Sar's career Ajax Juve he was debatably he changed the game he's the first post pass back real goalkeeper yeah Edwin I think and again that's why we're debating it was a better over if we could have one we had to play tomorrow game against Liverpool's yeah. all time team and it was all or nothing and everyone was at the peak age. I go Edwin. I go Schmeichel. But okay. the, the one thing I do, one thing I do agree on is that De Gea is nowhere near either of those two. And no. Again, it's, 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 it's like this modern De Gea is great. He doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't come off his line. He saves too many with his feet. People say, "Oh, that's a." He quality. can't stop penalties it's either. Penalties. And I mean, that's not a big deal. But if you can't stop one of every, eight thousand, every goalkeeper saves penalties now. He didn't even go the right way. Yeah. Uh, so Tell I man. think he's again he's outdated. Nowadays, it's keepers that plays on the thirty yard. Irwin, are you disagreeing with that? But you had Neville at left back. Or no, you Phil Neville. No, no, Neville at right back. Right. Gary Neville. Right, well, that's okay then. Yeah, Irwin left back. Or yeah. Evra. Yeah, I'd go with Irwin. Irwin. 
Ferdinand Stam or what the only argument there is Vidic for Stam I'm going Stam PFA team of the year every year he was there three leagues every year he was there he was ridiculous at United yeah, freakish I, I, can't, I can't argue against Stam uh, other centre half I think Smalling runs in close but I'll stick with him <laughs> <laughs> Keane's goals were not even Robson wasn't at his peak on no, the no, no even if he was though it's still have Keane's goals debate. I definitely have Skulls ahead of Robson I think Skulls United's greatest centre midfielder ever do you think Robson's better than Skulls? No, it's not. It's, it's Robson Keane for me, but I, I go with Keane because of the, the Premier League. Yeah, it's Robson Keane v each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm leaving out gigs. What's the other two? Ronaldo on the left, Beckham on the right. I think that Ronaldo offers what Giggs offers, and also more. And we need Beckham's crossing. We have Rude yeah. in the middle. Gigs top player, great longevity, and his peak nowhere near Ronaldo. I no, I can't disagree with that. I think I think Beckham's crossing and his set piece ability was amazing. I'm, I've, I've still got a soft spot for Kinchelskis. Even he was brilliant at the time. He's not going on this now. No, he's not. But I'm just, you know, he's not. I think, and you can't keep Ronaldo up. Yeah. So Beckham and Ronaldo, you're agreeing yeah. with that. Yeah. And then Rooney off Van Istroy, we're leaving out Cantona, we're leaving out variety of people. But I just think, although Rude won one league in five seasons, I've never seen a better finisher. I've never seen a more ruthless player. And he was unfortunate that the Invincibles were there, that Mourinho's first Chelsea team were there. Mm. Um. Well, the the year that we didn't win the league to Arsenal 0-2 was kind of because we like left it because we wanted to win the European Cup in Fergie's last season yeah. we went out Leverkusen for yeah. no reason I think Rude is probably the best out and out centre forward I've seen in the yeah. Premier League era at United and you can't leave Wayne out Wayne gets undermined because of course he could have been one of the great all time players didn't work hard enough but Rooney, Rooney yeah was. I mean it, it, Rooney's a kind of contradiction because I agree with everything you say he's a top scorer in United's history top scorer for England and it's like yeah but he didn't do enough well he won loads of Premier Leagues he won the FA Cup, won the Champions And played League. multiple positions, including yeah, right wing back. He sacrificed himself for three years for Ronaldo. Yeah. And he, so I'll give I'll give you Rooney, even though I think he could have done more despite everything he did. But yeah, when, on his best at his peak, he was pretty unstoppable. So you'd agree with Rooney off Rude. If you could send an all time United Premier League 11 out, you go Van der Sar, Irwin, Stam, Ferdinand, Neville, Keane, Scholes, Beckham, Ronaldo, Rooney, Van Istroy, but you've replaced Schmeichel for Van der Sar, and that yeah. would be it. Yeah. All right, well, Mark Ogden, thank you very much for visiting the Michael Anthony Show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I've uh, been an admirer of yours for years. Thanks for coming on. It's been great hearing some of your insight beyond the show. And um, thanks again, MA Show. No props.